welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ed Greer. And I'm Ron Swallow. And today we have an illustrious, that's right, I used the word illustrious, like Ed, guest today, who is one of the funniest comics that I know. Uh, she's the first trans paid regular at the Comedy Store and, uh, you know, from Comedy Central. And she's got a huge TikTok following. Please put your hands together for Fifi Dush. Hello. Hi, Virtual guys. hands together. Yeah, guys, I'm a big fan of your podcast. So this is going to be I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I was so embarrassed when I heard that you because you're a great comic mind. And we make all kind of dumb jokes on here and go off on weird tangents. And you wouldn't believe the stuff I cut out. No, I believe you. Yeah, that, I, yeah I'm just thinking, what does the cutting room floor for this little operation look like? <laughs> I cut out I cut out times when we're like, literally wrong. Like, I can't I can't be one of those podcasts where it's just like, I just let it slide that we're just like, yeah, Transformers debuted in 1897. It's like, no, no, oh, we can't. We can't do that. We have to be accurate in some of the things that we say. So, yeah, I want it to be on point. But uh, and especially given how passionate we get about stuff, you know, I, yeah. w- I want our passion to be uh, correct. Well, it's contagious one way or the other because, like, I'm not a comic book person. And you guys make me sit down and listen to a podcast about a subject I have, like, no interest or experience in. I'm like, yeah, the best X-Men are women. Good for Yeah, I see that. <laughs> that Now, that's, that's a good one because I think that's probably the only way we're going to ro- grow this damn audience and get it more diverse, you know, is like having people like recommend us like, no, it's okay. These guys are engaging. It doesn't matter if they're talking about, you know, killer whales or, or Star Trek. I would love the killer or- whale episode. Oh, it's coming. Killer whales are the greatest animal, full stop. So if I have to nominate it, the killer whale episode is coming. Greatest animal, full stop. Destroy octopuses. Destroy them. Nine brains. They have nine brains. Nine brains inside the killer whale's stomach. Nine brains dissolving in stomach acid. (laughs) (laughs) You're like the colonel skirts of the ocean, Jesus. (laughs) I saw their nine brains digesting in a stomach. The will to do that. <laughs> so, so Fifi, uh, how are you? What's been going on? How, like, it's been a while. Yeah, well, you know, uh, long story short, I started, you know, the hook from this episode, I started transitioning right before COVID happened, and then we all went into a little hibernation. I kind of had a whole like, hey, what am I doing here in Hollywood? Do I really want to be here kind of moment and was not doing stand up for a while. But now I'm like, uh, baked and out of the oven. And you know, I'm really happy to be here in the entertainment industry. So I'm kind of back with a new vigor. That's what's up to me. That's what I like to hear. Yeah. Wow. That's 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 great because I think I went through a similar thing in regards to just what am I doing here type of thing because like we started doing the podcast so much and during COVID there was a lot less a lot less safe uh, stand up opportunities and it gave me this kind of excuse to quit a little bit and to and to like be like ah this is kind of getting this is a getting hard and b I may have achieved everything that I could achieve in it by now and and i got a bunch of skills in a network i should probably apply that to something where i'm more suited and now i'm getting tricked back into it ron took me out a couple times i'm going out a couple times next week and i'm basically all the way back in to doing stand-up but it was a soul-searching time for sure i was really close to moving back to montana <laughs> wow i know man well i went and stayed at my friend's goat ranch for a little while where they just have like 11 baby goats to play with and just every day i was just sitting in a field 
playing with goats. And I'm like, this is fucking heaven, dude. Why am I going back to this this godless city, this Sodom on the beach? Uh, here we are. Uh, that's because Sodom on the beach is fucking awesome. That's like the best, it's the best Slayer song ever. <laughs> Sodom on the beach. That's a a late Slayer song where they're just running on fumes. (laughs) (laughs) Call it Death Guy from Hell. Whatever. But uh, one thing I was uh, to introduce the kind of subject that we're talking about today. um, I think this is the first time on on this particular show we've talked about the Matrix. We've talked about the Matrix uh, before on other podcasts. We've talked about the Matrix on our rebooted episode, which I'm going to bring up later as a classic uh, tale of failure and woe. Uh, but talking about the Matrix is it's like a cottage industry. So I'm glad to have you bring like a unique uh, take, a unique uh, you know experience with the Matrix to this, so we can kind of get some different talk going on. But like, why is the Matrix the greatest to you? Well, like we were saying, I, I, I think you could make the argument that it's the best action movie of all time. I think it's, as a film, it you can make the argument that it's perfect. I can't, you know, I'm talking about the original one now. I don't think you, I can't think of a flaw in your, like, in terms of, like, the Robert McKee nuts and bolts of making a movie. I don't mm-hmm. think it has one fuck up in it. And um, also, like in recent years with the Wachowskis, like transitioning and all that, it's kind of gotten a new life among a group. And another thing, too, before I get too into this, I'm not trying to like center like the white dork trans girl experience as paramount. <laughs> people. But nevertheless, I think you can make it's like the. I mean, the Wachowskis are probably the biggest trans people. I mean, unless you're talking like your Laverne Coxes, they're on their own. But I mean, I think mm-hmm. even still, like, The Matrix is worth more. I think it's affected more culturally. I think it's 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 one of those things where I bet you if a young kid watched The Matrix, they would not be as blown away as us. But, like, so many movies are just stand, now are standing on its shoulders of what it could do. Mm. I feel, It's kind of like the way people would say The Beatles are, are overrated. You know, it's like, yeah, that's because mm. you see them in everything. It's like they invented salt in cooking. Like, show some respect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, there's a ton of films who you're like, oh, you're trying to be The Matrix. That's mm-hmm. That's what's happening right now. And and or you clearly have taken from the Matrix. Now, how what was your how, how did you see the Matrix first? Where you did you go to movie theater? No, I did not see it in the theater. I believe I rented it on DVD. And um, oh. this is this is when DVDs were first coming out, and they were like the shit. This would have been what nineteen ninety nine, I think. So mm-hmm. I would have been thirteen years old, and it was just mesmerizing i remember watching it with my dad and just again i don't also i will say this too i love martial arts in movies i think they it like having legit martial arts in a film as opposed to like quote-unquote fight coordination i think like i love blade for a really similar reason Mm -hmm. but to blend like very practical Bruce Lee entered the dragon stuff with the greatest CGI ever made. I don't think anyone has ever matched that to this day. I mean, I think you kind of either go one direction or the other, you know, maybe like, maybe like Guillermo del Toro and blade two kind of did it, but I think you still have to give it to the matrix. But like, I don't think people realize how much this film blew people away and you could not, 
Every single like every single show had a Matrix parody in it for like four years. It was nuts. The more easy you are to imitate, the greater your persona is. No matter how if you're a great person or not, I really don't. I'm not not bringing that into it. I'm just talking about the easier you are to imitate, the more fully formed and particular your thing is, your voice, your mannerisms, whatever. And it's just like the Matrix has so many things you can make fun of because it is so distinctive. Mm-hmm. It, it it's 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 a it's a it's a it's an infinite playing field of different things, and and it's a uh, and it has so many concepts in it, and and they're presented so forcefully. Anybody can identify anything inside of it. It's a Rorschach test for your fucking personality, which is why like people like ourselves like it. Red pill dudes, MR, you know, MRA people like it. Absolute fascist, absolute utopian people. Everybody likes it because I mean, it's, it's 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 what it is. Yeah, it's it's trans people's favorite movie and a you know red flag for Nazism. Like, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that's good exactly, but can you name another film that has that wide of a wingspan? No, just America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <As a> concept. <laughs> oh, but that's that's another thing about the Matrix too. It's intensely American in how it has, in a Borg-like capacity assimilated the whole world into mm-hmm. it it's assimilated uh, uh animation from uh, our country and japan it's it's assimilated uh fighting stuff from china uh and america it's just it's just it's just making it this big soup of of influence and uh it it really is i think it's the best first movie of a trilogy of all time maybe <laughs> you know yeah and i think i i I like the second one, but I genuinely think it should have just stayed at one movie. It just because they just it's just like you nailed it. Peace out. It's not like I said, the the original Matrix is a perfect film, but it's also like not the goddamn Silmarillion. I don't think like (laughs) I mean, there's a reason it's so perfect. It's because it's finished. You know, Mm. like I don't. I like in the in the sequels, like I never really cared about the stuff in Zion like that, never really tripped my trigger, so to speak. I think the third one um suffers because there's like so much of that like mech warrior shit, which is yeah just, it feel like that is that felt a little derivative to me. Mm-hmm. But, it um, did have my one of my favorite Dragon Ball Z style fight scenes of all time. Oh no, I but, do love that. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, <laughs> yeah. Um it's funny because we were talking about when we saw the newest one that what would have actually been even better is if they'd just done just the Matrix and then this new one as the sequel. Because the concept is, oh, it looks like he won the day. By the way, he didn't fucking win the day. Did you guys, so you guys like the new one? Well, uh, to, 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 to be fair, uh, I liked the setup i thought the setup was perfect actually because it's like it a lot of sequels shittily undercut the first movie or like third movies will shittily undercut the second movie a case in point would be alien 3 alien 3 cuts all the legs out of aliens everything she sacrificed for is gone in that movie so aliens didn't even happen that's why alien 3 that's to me why alien 3 sucks Beyond all these different factors of, you know, its production and blah, 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 and its story, it sucks because it ruined two. And so to me, the two and three ruin one because 
it's an abject victory in number one. He uh, uh, Neo wins, but doesn't all the way win. There's still a battle to be fought going forward that we'll never get to see because we've already seen the most important part of the story. And then to go for 25 years or whatever and then land us in a place where it was all like a video game or something. And then he finds out that it wasn't. It's almost like I think that there was something poet poetic about that. I think where that movie falters is obviously in certain story mechanics and in the fighting. Just you cannot have a Matrix sequel with such inferior fighting and inferior action to elucidate mm-hmm. the concept. Oh God, yeah, that's what I. That was something I really, I really didn't like the fourth one, and I wanted to like it so bad. I thought they were going to come and take my estrogen if they if I didn't love it, you know. <laughs> Fucking the action was so like it was like murky. It just mm-hmm. looked like it looked like one of the Bourne movies or something. And mm-hmm. also, like I remember, there was all this like my theory about the fourth one is I think what happened was what Warner Brothers said we're going to make this one. Lana Wachowski, do you want to direct it? She said no, and they were like, well, okay, we're going to make one whether you do it or not. And then she just kind of like. It's like, okay, well, I don't want anyone else fucking it up. But it's like she kind of steered into the curb. Like, that movie was like if Gremlins 2 were made by an asshole. Like, it had such an attitude. <laughs> you know? Like I, re- like, I remember there was this point where, like, there's a point in the movie where, like, Matrix is about bullet time. That's what it is. Like, coming out of the mouth of that neckbeard dude. It's like, so it's like, it's like Lana Wachowski shitting on people for loving bullet time. It's like, you made the fucking movie, toots. Like, what, like. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We all love the most mind blowing thing we've ever seen in a film, and is derivative of every action movie since. You know. Well, you know what's interesting about that, though, is I think the innovations. I could see how somebody could get tired of their own like innovations. You know, like how certain rock stars will get tired of their own songs. It's like if I have to sing Peggy Sue one more time, I'm going to crash this plane into the, into a mountain. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, I, I think that it's, well, that's and, terrible. Well, and on top of that, like, if you think about like, you're an, you're a creator, you've made a world where people are literally just batteries for robots that have taken over the whole world and people were like oh yeah you know what bullet time that's what they talked about (laughs) they didn't talk about the crazy ass concept that you came up with that is like a pretty mind-blowing and insane uh idea they were like no just this cool effect that you came up with that's all we really cared about I i guess i could see that being annoying well, and I will tell you this, I'll go on a little trans tangent for a moment. Um, the Wachowskis, I mean, every film they've made since The Matrix like has a devoted cult following, but they, for the most part, have a series of flops. And I'll mm-hmm. tell you this right now, if if the only success I've really had in my career was something I made as a dude and everything I made as a woman kind of tanked, that would fuck with me. That would be like, <laughs> that would be just an yeah. indescribable bummer. I can't even I can't even elucidate enough. Wow, that it is interesting how like anytime you transition on any level, and not to be like well everybody can relate to it, but like if you were like I I think sometimes me being a comedian, like if I just stop and just just write, that I'm gonna be this different person, and what if that just sucks ass and I have to go back to being an H room headliner, <laughs> you, you know what I mean. Yeah. It's just it, I, I I think that part of that has made me uh, not fully commit to screenwriting and stuff 
is because I don't want to fail at a new endeavor, even though that was the one that was on the back burner the whole time. But mm-hmm. to relate that to this, it seems like Lana wants to tell the story of the mind and maybe wasn't as much into all the action jazz. And that perfect meld of, of her and her sister is what made the Matrix be actually super sick. But like the, the the whole, I mean, yeah, the Matrix has some lofty, interesting themes to it. But like it, it's an action movie. Like, yeah, the Matrix would not have worked as like a slow indie Miramax drama. Like, yeah, see, see, Dark City. Yeah, it, although I do like that movie. That oh, movie it's great. great! We talked about it. We talked about it as as one of the greatest examples of mythic storytelling, and we also talked about this movie uh, in there as well. So it's it's up there. But as far as a commercial product, mm-hmm. a bunch of floating guys trying to be stabby in the dark isn't as it isn't bullet time. It isn't it isn't rescuing Morpheus from the from the building and the helicopter hitting the ball and warping it. You know. <sighs> It's not that. I mean, I was just thinking about how many people would love to learn the way you could learn in the Matrix. Like, how many times have you thought to Mm. yourself, I would love to spend some time learning about physics. But you realize you are going to have to spend the next 10 years learning calculus. What if you just put a thing in your ear, somebody pushes a button and jams all the information into your brain? That is fucking rad. Yeah. You want me to learn physics in a millisecond? You want me to learn kung fu in a millisecond? Let's do this. Well, and also, bullet time is a symbol of the transcendent power you have when you stop believing the bullshit and you live according to your own truth. Like, don't kick the legs out from under that, you know? Mm, like, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. Although, again, to in Lana Wachowski's defense, like, I think... You know, I it always sours me when people like, like the whole like making fun of the dude who loved bullet time just kind of rang. I didn't particularly care for that. But like when you are a trans filmmaker, you made a movie about being trans. They've come out and said that. And then you can go on any YouTube video about this subject and find just a bunch of butthurt neckbeards being like, no, it's not what it's fucking about. It's like they said it's what it's about. <laughs> they said that. <laughs> Like, yeah, I'm sure the two trans Yeah, that's always interesting. Yeah, none of their feelings entered into their art at all, you fucking simpleton. Like, (laughs) Well, I I think that, I think, though, in a terrible, terrible way, Mm -hmm. this is why The Matrix is so awesome. Because The Matrix has reached that level that Star Wars reached and, and not that many other things I can even think of have reached where now... The people own it mm-hmm. and their ridiculous associations are just going to be what they are. And you can't do anything about that because it's part of the culture. And we were talking about on our on our mythic episode, like tying uh, people, tying their like identity up into this and becoming it's the definition of zealotry to kill the person who told you about it. Mm-hmm. It's a definition of zealotry to be like, oh, well, this priest isn't being pious enough, so I'll kill him and I'll be the priest. And if somebody kills you for not being pure enough and your devotion to X and the Matrix has reached that level, yeah. which is like a truly monumental accomplishment for a, for a pop culture movie with a lot of bullets hitting the ground and people running on walls. I mean, the fact that it reaches from like little transgendered communists to like died in the wall alt-right people, I mean... I don't want to be entertained with those people, but that is low-key kind of incredible. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, there's this hilarious Twitter exchange where Elon Musk gets on and he says, take the red pill. And then Ivana Trump comes in and says, already taken it. And then Lily Wachowski pops in and says, go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) 
Perfect. I mean, this movie was just indescribably fun. I mean, I watched it over and over and over again. Like, and I'll tell you this too. I was watching the sequel recently. Like, I don't know the TV. I just watch stuff on my laptop, you know? You know that scene where they're on the freeway in the second one where they're like fighting with swords on top of the trucks and there's that scene yeah. where they're like, the two, the two trucks collide. Now, mind you, this is a 20-year-old film. I've seen it a million times. When they collide, I jumped out of my bed and was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that shit is crazy. I mean, yeah. look, I, I know the second and the third one aren't technically as good as the first one. And I don't know how you – That's. I think the problem is how do you ever get as good as the first Matrix? Like it's – it's not – I don't know if it's possible because you have to make two more perfect movies. But that being said, I still really had a lot of fun with those other two movies. I want to say – I want to mention that. Like I don't – I get where people are coming from when they say, oh, these – they're not as good. But like there are some scenes in there that are mind-boggling and, and super fun. The fight with all the Agent Smiths is still incredible. By the way, can we talk about Agent Smith as a villain and how he's mm. inc- like a Darth Vaderian level of awesome? <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to introduce uh, my man Hugo Weaving into this conversation. Uh, he really ha- he sets up the implacability of the robots and I think uh, uh, the machines. And I think that that's important. We have tried to have a techno society be the villain before and the Borg and different stuff like that. But it never has quite the impact as when there's a Borg queen to, mm-hmm. uh, to symbolize all of them. And he was like the, the person who symbolized all of them. And then when you see that across the trilogy, he becomes his own character and has his own arc, like his individuality, you know, starts to pop up in the next couple movies. And the first one, he's just him. And he's a, he's a servant of the machines. But in later movies, he's like, what the fuck? I got my own agenda, you know, and the, which is interesting in and of itself. Because he's very, like, the Matrix is all, like, everybody is trapped in this oppressive system, whether it's capitalism or the patriarchy or what, whatever is goring your particular ox, you know. The humans who've unplugged from it, they've found a way to transcend it. They've said this is bullshit, but they've risen above it. Agent Smith said this is bullshit and sunk below it. He'd rather, mm. like, drag the whole thing down with him into hell rather than transcend it himself, which he could have done. Like, yeah. Like, that part, like, I always, like, Agent Smith to me is like, to me, he's like a trans person who just can't get with it, you know? Like, that's part of, like, there's so many little things in this movie that, like, we, the trans people, just, you, you can't prove them on paper, but they just hit us right in the heart, you know? Like, you know that part where he has uh, Morpheus tied up and he just goes, I'm going to be really honest with you, Morpheus. I hate this place. I, I've stared at my penis and felt the same fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I feel you, queen. Suck that estrogen out of his head. <laughs> That's what's interesting about it. Like, I, this is one of the reasons I love our podcast, by the way. Is mm-hmm. when you have a conversation with someone and really listen to why they like a thing, it makes you think about things. And I really enjoy that because I never thought of Agent Smith as much of anything beyond like a really good bad guy. But you're right. It's it's this character who has a chance to become something better. It's aware that this is not good and that this that what's happening for anyone is not good. 
Yeah. But but he's selfish. And at the same time, instead of thinking, how can I fix all this stuff? He thinks, how can I destroy all this stuff? Yeah, he could have been he could have been with that French dude hanging out with the werewolves or whatever the fuck they were doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Get their dick sucked in the bathroom. You know what I mean? Just just drinking drinking espresso in a green room, getting your dick sucked. You know, it's just that could have been his life, but no, he he chooses to multiply himself a bunch of times to try to beat up the the guy that could help him the most into establishing that as reality. Yeah, and there's just a giant kink orgy just on the way to your office or whatever that like (laughs) people were like, The Matrix isn't queer. I'm like, did you forget about the BDSM party that he and Trinity just walk through for no reason at all in the third one, just on, <laughs> just on the way to see the Merovingian. <laughs> well, that, I, that re- I really respect them for putting all this fucking queer kinky shit, like in a movie 10 minutes after nine 11, like they like, <laughs> it's, it's so weird to argue with a creator about what they created. Yeah. It, it's kind of like arguing with Bill Finger about his opinion about Ma- Batman, by the way, mm-hmm. like telling mm. someone their opinion about a thing that they created is ridiculous. Well, I don't know, man. I think, but because we were talking about earlier about how, like, once you make an art, it's kind of belongs to the people in a way, like as a weird aside, a like David Chase went out and basically said, yeah, Tony dies at the end of the Sopranos. And I was fucking like what is wrong with you like i (laughs) had a whole thing in my mind like why i love that ending the whole point was like it doesn't he's either dead or he's in jail or he just goes to trial or his family dies it doesn't matter he's just living in hell and it's all a big nothing and livia was right like that's my ending and Mm. i don't care what david chase tells me (laughs) <laughs> well see and that's we all find ourselves on different sides of that though you know what i mean like i was definitely a person who i i wish some i wish somebody had grabbed george lucas around jedi time and been like dude this enters the darkest timeline mm-hmm. if you put these motherfucking teddy bears in here eventually you sell out to disney and it's just teddy bear central for a while and then weird stuff happens and blah blah just they're gonna lose the mythic stuff and you with this midichlorian stuff, you got to stop. It's like that old Pat, Pat, uh, Pat Oswald bit, you know? And it's just like, you got to stop this. We have to go back to being this weird mystery. Never tell anybody what the Clone Wars is. Whatever's in your head, never elaborate on it. It's so much cooler in their heads. I promise you. And then I step but, back through a portal. And it's, you know, I've been, I'm just saying in, that's in, the side of it that I'm on. And see, and then the side of it I'm on is I love the uh, Ewoks. And here's why I love the Ewoks. The oh, Empire man. thinks that they are above everyone. They never, ever count any other being in the universe as a threat or as significant. And so they ignored the Ewoks and thought of them as just some dumb animal that lived in uh, in the forest on Endor. They never thought of them as a threat. And then that's why they were able to get beat by them. And to me, that says one of the weaknesses of the Empire. I doubt George Lucas spent any time thinking of that in any way, shape, or form. But that's what popped into my head when I when I read when I uh, watched that movie. Like they really got beat because they're too cocky. So I think you could have made that point a little better if they were Wookies. Like I believe at one point they were Boom. supposed to be Wookies, which that they would be awesome. 
They were. And he definitely was thinking about it because he's literally told people, including James Cameron, on camera that the whole fucking Star Wars thing is about Vietnam. So he definitely thought about short people defeating the Empire. Mm. <laughs> he definitely thought about that. <laughs> the Ewoks have like punji steaks and it's just really <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, don't take your ass to somebody else's moon of indoor and act like you know the terrain better, no matter how much better equipped you are. You're yeah. gonna get fucked up. And like, Ewoks don't surf is my <laughs> <laughs> So I mean it's so it was pretty it's just um yes, people can imprint different stuff on it, but uh in the Matrix's case, what do you think is uh the style of it also to me was uh i'm talking about you know clothes style i feel like this fourth movie was less stylish it felt like it was like whoever the wardrobe person if it was the same wardrobe person i'm sorry that your taste changed so drastically i did not like how anybody was dressed in this one and i I, it wasn't it wasn't posh enough (laughs) you know i don't know well here's i think part of it is this is not an original thought of mine, but I think part of it is one nineties cool didn't really age very well. Like the whole, mm. like I think one, because it's kind of humorless and takes itself very seriously. And two, I think I hate to say it, but the, the short answer is Columbine. So I mm. think there's a, but like, I agree with you Ed, that like, I, I mean, the costume design of those first movies is incredible. Like in, whether they're in Zion, like the Merovingian looks really cool and they could have like queered this joint up really hard. Like they, she, she had plenty of runway to do that. And they just it, like, I, I couldn't even, I couldn't name one costume out of the new one. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But especially hey, when Morpheus shows up, cause Morpheus should be the one like dressed really cool yeah did they like, get nominated because, for an oscar for costume that's the last matrix movie no 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 the first one oh uh, well while look while ron looks that up i think i know it didn't age well but i think that would be the point of the fourth one mm-hmm. that we're back here that we're back in this weird time out of time and that would lend to an almost ethereal quality of the stuff and obviously people would be able to make fun of it but they'd be able to make fun of it because it was so distinctive. Yeah. And this, there's no, nobody's distinctive. And I felt like it was also, I got to say, I think Lana is the one that likes to chop the legs out from under stuff. Lana yeah. likes to David chase a little bit. Whereas mm-hmm. I think Lily was like, I think if Lily was involved, they would be like, look, this is how it's got to be. We've got to have this action. We're going to have this. We're going to have that. Although maybe, maybe Lily is a mech person as well. So it's like, it's half a dozen of one or whatever, you know? Well, yeah, and I know Lily just said, like, I don't want to do this. I think, you know, I, I almost think it would have been better. Like, just let Warner Brothers make it. It would be competent enough. Like, you don't have, like, just Alan Moore the thing. Like, you can yeah. still preserve your own stuff. But, like, I get it. I wouldn't want anyone fucking with my baby either. But it's yeah. like. But it was yeah, also kind of like, they're like, I'm not letting you stab the baby. I'm stabbing the baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did win for, for a, a best co- – or not win. Uh, they did get nominated for best costume. Okay. So, yeah, in the 90s for for the first Matrix. And I think the second Matrix is, as well, actually, um, mm-hmm. got some nominations for that. The, everything they, they did in that movie pushed forward every action movie that's – especially sci-fi action movie – like mm. legitimately i don't think you get edge of tomorrow um i don't think you get a lot of 
really cool sci-fi stuff that came out. But then you still get Jupiter ascending. And I don't, you know. Yeah. Well, okay, but is, is this a case? I think this is an interesting part to take the Matrix conversation. What do you, Why do you think that this was such, is it the trans aspect of it? that makes the matrix the most crystallized idea they they ever had besides i'd say bound because that was them imagining themselves as women you know what i mean or rather you know as being able to acknowledge that they were women you know by using you know uh um those actresses on screen to do uh, a lesbian romance or whatever you know what i mean besides bound because bound is very good mm-hmm. the matrix is very, very the matrix is an excellent phenomenon bound is very good Bound and the Matrix are way better than anything the Wachowskis have done before before since. Well, here's what I think. I think the Matrix is the best example ever of getting to the general by going hyper-specific. You mm. know, like we said, trans commie kids on Twitter and alt-right people both adore this movie and identify it. They put their transy little feelings into a movie in 1999 and got the whole world to go, I feel you. That's fucking incredible. Like, I don't know. I I don't know a single work of like art made by a trans person that got everybody. Now, granted, like they were still living as men. Had they been upfront about this shit, would people just have recoiled, you know, um, reactionary? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone would have freaked out. We'd never hear the red pill thing, which, you know, hmm. But they said, like, I mean, I, again, like, Tangerine doesn't reach that far, you know? And mm-hmm. but they, it's just so incredible where they put a thing in, like, this is how it feels to be a trans person, everybody on earth. And it's like, it's like they tricked everybody in a good way. It's like, oh, identify with that. Oh, well, it's about trans people. You know, people stay ignorant until they meet people. Mm hmm. That's how this works. That's how life works in general. That these type of things can be good when someone finds out, oh, this is made by trans people and this is a movie about that. There's going to be a portion of people who go, huh, interesting. And that's going to open their mind to something new. And it's going to give them the ability to walk forward and start meeting people and make that all real. As soon as you start meeting people, all of this stuff becomes fact instead of a, a thought process, if that makes any sense. Or a concept. Yeah, yeah, people yeah. People are instead more re- – they become real people and not abstract concepts, which you can twist and warp in your own mind. And, and, and also, I would just very much encourage people to also go beyond the anecdotal. I think uh, if you're in fucking Alaska, you're not going to meet many Negroes. So you might want to try to uh, uh, learn something. Without having to bump into them, because you're not you're not going to because it's too <laughs> fucking cold up there. Uh, it, it is it is interesting how little how hard it is for us to empathize unless we have these super partial experiences. And I think uh, I, we would do well to try to conquer that too. You know, uh, you can understand certain things in the abstract. I uh, forgive my little white little opinion on racism here, but I genuinely believe like a big contributor to all the racism is in America is I think if you're like from a city, I don't think you realize like just how white and straight and cis most of America really is. Like, 
Oh yeah. Mm. There are giant swaths of land in the middle of the country. Like you're not going to, you're not going to see a minority of any flavor. Mm hmm. Yep. Mm hmm. I mean, and, and a very, I've been to very... shows in Idaho, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. we've been we go to shows sometimes here in California. There'll be yeah. like there'll be the one black guy with ashy elbows mm-hmm. and eight hundred white people at a gig. Yeah. You don't gotta go, like, you don't gotta go far out of L.A. to be back in America. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> the window. So, uh, so in your opinion, if you were trying to boil down the top three i'd say major contributions that the matrix had i mean i personally i go for the the action level up i do agree with your assessment that after the matrix american action movies got better there's before the matrix and after the matrix now obviously the ones that are too derivative like ultraviolet or to a certain extent uh equilibrium and shit like that or you know they, they they'll like borrow the color palette and some of the kung fu but none of the ethos and also not any of the um neo was always in trouble in those movies mm-hmm. neo or rather in the first movie neo wasn't really confident at being able to whoop people's ass for real or whoop the agent's ass until the very end of the movie the agents were deadly i want people to remember that the agents were like if you were in a pool and you ran into a great white shark and you had, and you were going to use kung fu to to resolve that problem. That's what it was up until he realizes he's the one, and he bends the world like that, and then he becomes the 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 person who can defeat uh, an agent on their own, you know, uh, territory. Up until that, it was so basically all I'm saying is everybody else bought, borrowed these kung fu guys can beat up anybody and kick them fifty seven feet and throw them a hundred feet and bust the, do all the CGI fighting. They didn't remember to keep the hero in danger and to have his feats have all this power because he's in such constant danger, even though he's such a kung fu man. They they left that part out. Um. Well, okay. Here's, I think, we touched on this a little bit before. I think bullet time is worthy of remembering just for being awesome. Like, that mm-hmm. scene where Neo bends back and the bullets are whizzing past him, that remains one of the coolest little sequences in film history. Like, I'm so, it's, it's beautiful. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. And I think, but more than that, like, bullet time is not frivolous. It is symbolized, it symbolizes something important. It symbolizes your ability to go... I don't have to live by these bullshit rules applied on me. I can effectively be, you know, the Ubermensch or whatever you want to call it. I can live by my own truth. I can live in reality. And even though, like, when you get woken up into reality, it's a scary, cold, gross place for a while. <laughs> but you can walk through that and become essentially a super person. And I think that's, like, a very beautiful thing. I think... Something else that I really, really want to touch on, and it this hits trans people in the heart particularly well, but again, it, you know, it applies to all, it applies to all queer people, it applies to all people in general, like if you are living under the bullshit, whatever flavor that it is, but, and I'm going to get a little mushy here, if you don't mind, but mm-hmm. like, I grew up in South Dakota, born in 1986, grown up. Like, my feeling was, if anybody sees me, the real me, I'm just dead. I'm just fucking dead. They're either going to make my life a complete hell till I kill myself, or they might just kill me. Like, those are all on the table. In The Matrix, what the agents are, like, just as movie monsters, you know, what they are, they're these people 
They patrol the entire world. And who do they look for? They looked for unplugged humans, people living in the truth. And if they see you, if they see you, they're going to appear out of nowhere. They're going to chase you. You cannot run them. You can't defeat the entire force of the system is going to come crashing down on you and you can't beat it. I identify with that so much. I think that's why they're so effective just as a threat. They're terrifying. I mean, mm-hmm. just imagine the whole world just being dumped on you. And it does and again, like you can be like Trinity and shoot one point blank. It doesn't matter. They're they're just they're just going to keep coming. They're no way out. It hits a really primal fear for me. So I I think also, like you hear about this script being passed around and how people are like, I don't get it. We're not making this. Bang. I think everybody in the world believes that they're li- whether they're they admit it to themselves or not they're living under some form of bullshit they go this isn't right this isn't working for me this isn't really against me i'm they might be walking around thinking i'm fine everything's good and but i think everybody on some level realizes they're not they are some kind of slave or some kind of oppressee to something again it's why it has such a wide reaching net it's why trans people and nazis love it you know i think this movie, like, I can't overstress enough that the powers in the... It, it, there's a reason everybody wanted to be cool on Kung Fu from 1999 to 2003. It's because it meant something. Mm, yeah. It meant you transcending your own life. Every, every fight scene had an emotional point to it. That's one yeah. of the things we've talked about in fight scenes is, like, what's the point of this fight scene? Like, what what is it bringing? It's not just who are you saving, or, but it's, like, why are you fighting? Like, what's what's the purpose of this? And there were real purpose for this. Yeah, it's like if you're watching Iron Man, I don't think people watch and I'm not a comic book person, so forgive me. But I don't think people watch Iron Man thinking like, hey, if I just work really hard, I can build myself into a superhuman and I can (laughs) save the world, too. I think people watch Iron Man going, he's fucking cool and funny and he's rad. I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But I think. Even in like an action movie that's beautiful, like Terminator Two, like what does the the T one thousand really mean? You know, like it's mostly like, oh, that's he's liquid metal and he's cool. You know, yeah, I, I'm definitely not trying to quibble, but I think the the interesting part is I don't think we were prepared for whatever Cameron was trying to say with the T one thousand because I've read interviews and he was like, the T one thousand is a cop because Cops pretend to care about the populace, but all they do is pursue their own agenda and they other other people that they encounter so that they can keep their job simple in their head. Like people who aren't cops aren't really people. So I don't have to really worry about them. And I just got to make sure that I'm always on my guard and I'm always on my mission. And he's he's he has stated in writing that that's what he was saying with the T-1000. But we as a culture aren't weren't equipped to do that and it was just kind of got boiled down to well a cop could go anywhere if we're just being practical about the terminator mythos a cop can get in anywhere a cop can walk right into anywhere white cop can walk right into anywhere and nobody questions anything and then they can shoot you in your face if you're sarah connor or uh or my man edward furlong so so yeah but but i do agree that we weren't as a culture prepared 
to have that conversation. And you damn sure know that James Cameron wasn't telling motherfuckers that at press junkets in 1992 or one no. or whatever. You know what yeah, I mean? Man, defund the T-1000. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you turn his limbs into school supplies. <laughs> defund, defund Agent Smith. <laughs> yeah. Reprogram Agent Smith. Oh, yeah. There you go. Well, I mean, but that that also gets to part of it, though, as as Fifi was talking about earlier, he had a chance to reprogram himself and be his own person. And he chose to tear the whole thing down. Mm-hmm. And that's I, I think that's interesting in regards to it. it makes him an actual foil for Neo yep. because Neo doesn't necessarily want to destroy the system or even destroy the robots. They they they're alive. That was another thing that I liked about the fourth one. Honestly, it was hokey and it was dumb. And the way that they expressed it was very like like the machines were sometimes their pets kind of that they could just sort of pat on the head and go good job squiddy yeah. i didn't really like that part you know that was like that was like a negro in the military in 1950 like oh good you went down and got a bomb off the off the ocean floor good job boy go go hang out over there with the other ones you can't go to the white barracks but good job like we're a fucking dolphin or something mm-hmm. and, and like like that's how i felt that they were doing the squiddies i'm like those motherfuckers ruled you yeah. Those motherfuckers meant some moose your fucking ass back in prehistory. You know what I'm saying? Those motherfuckers ran you. You don't treat them like a little buddy now. That yeah. part was fucked up, but I like the fact that we could acknowledge them as people, though. Mm-hmm. They were people that we either created or they grew out of our hubris, whatever. But now that they're here, we have to treat them as as people and make some kind of equilibrium. That's what Neo's supposed to be fighting for. But Agent Smith is like, well, fuck it. If I don't get to be king of the world, and if I, if my purpose it wasn't actually gospel, if I was tricked in some way about my purpose or what I was assigned, then fuck it. Destroy it all. There's there's that scene where I think it's when, like, you know, the woman with the red dress scene. I think that's the time when Morpheus says something like, some of these people are not ready to be unplugged. And they, like, mm. respect that. Mm. Yeah. You know? They're not in there to forcefully unplug people. They're like, hey, man, we want to we wanna make this available to you. We're not going to yank you by the chain to drag you into our world. And, like, some, he said what, what some people are so hopelessly dependent on the system that they, their minds are just not ready to be free. And he doesn't – that's not a condemnation. Not really, you know, mm-hmm. like it's a lot of compassion in that. By the way, this is an aside, but I saw a really funny tweet about that. The one, with, you know, the, that scene with the woman with the red dress. It's um, someone po- someone tweeted a photo of Morpheus and goes, uh, are you listening, Neo? Or were you wishing you were the woman in the red dress? <laughs> <laughs> She's so hot. She's everything <laughs> I want to be. <laughs> I, I think I think the Matrix also to me in regards to like cultural impact. I wish that it had the effect that Ron is thinking of, of like people wanting to learn physics, learn languages, learn. I think it just, uh, like Fifi said, just it made him want to do Kung Fu because, you know, it, it did have that double meaning in the Matrix. But a lot of people, I mean, I've been a, a Kung Fu head since the 80s, you know, as a yeah. little kid kicking the shit out of everything. And I saw it through the black lens because those were the people that weren't white that got to kick ass on screen full stop. Chinese motherfuckers were the only motherfuckers who got to kick anybody white in the ass <laughs> that I got to see. You know what I'm saying? I was watching Dukes of Hazzard's reruns. I did not know the world of black exploitation. I didn't know. And when I started to see like the, the Chinese movies, it was like I could, I could allow myself to imprint upon people that could whoop some fucking ass 
And it did have that double cultural meaning, you know, as I've stated, it was like, these are the people that really get to kick ass. These are the people who have agency over themselves because they can kick your ass. And I really love your joke about the about Blade for that exact reason. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so hard. Which, by the way, by the way, you know, we've been talking about how original the Matrix is. I think it owes Blade a debt of gratitude. I mean, I think. Let's talk about it. Let's talk yeah. about it. <laughs> I mean, I don't think people get how, like. I mean, Blade didn't do that well. It kind of came before the whole comic book renaissance. That movie fucking rules. I love that film. I don't give a shit how terrible the CGI looks. That movie is so fun. It's gorgeous. Like, I think it blends into camp pretty well. You know, like some motherfuckers always trying to ice skate uphill. I buy it. I love it. <laughs> Oh, and that was the most black exploitation thing that happened in the movie. That's another thing. Uh, black exploitation did have some good rap. Motherfuckers had some good rap in those mm-hmm. in those in those in those movies. You know, uh, I think Blade definitely. Me and Ron are hella Blade heads. Uh, I wish we had uh, a Bill, a Bill our, our other partner. He's a super Blade head. And yet, yeah, the aesthetic of the Matrix, parts of the aesthetic certainly. And yes, they all owe themselves to being in the '90s, but. That aesthetic being on screen and being cool, the flowing cape, I mean, the coat as cape mm-hmm. aesthetic. Oh, Blade pioneered that shit. And with the red lining, he had like red lining inside of his coat. Sometimes it's just, oh, so sick looking. And his, um, yeah, I, I think it owes, I think there was also some, a little bit of bullet timey technology in there in regards to when he throws his, when he throws, uh, Fuck, I forgot her name. But when he throws the love interest hematologist lady mm-hmm. literally across the street and she like fucks her shoulder up and then he runs and he jumps. Yeah. There is this there is a similar technology being used. And and as far as Blade not doing well, it didn't do well compared to all these Marvel movies, but it was so profitable because it costs nothing mm-hmm. that I think it it light bulb these guys. Like, if we could take this extremely tertiary character and make his story into an action movie with comic book elements imagine what we could do with all these spider-mans and this and that's you know oh yeah by the way i love cypher as a villain too he joe pantaleano yep. is fantastic i'm a big fan i've been a fan of him since sopranos i adore him joey pants joey pants is fucking great and bound too mm-hmm. well and let's also talk about like this is when you were talking about all this it also got me thinking about how how everyone who's in this in this is also badass. Like Trinity's badass, Morpheus is badass. All of the characters in this do something important and are important to the story. And they are uh, for the '90s. That's one of the most divorce diverse fucking movies that you will ever fucking see. If you really mm. think about it, I don't know if they did that on purpose or not, but it was very diverse. And nobody's less than anybody else. Everyone is valuable in in that and important to the story. Mm-hmm. So that's another great thing uh, that the Matrix pulled off. I mean, I just think about like, you're the one who broke the IRS D base. And she's and he's like, he's like, oh, and she's like, what? And he's like, well, I just thought it was a just thought it was a guy. And she's like, guys always do. It's just like, it's like, fuck yeah, you know what I mean? Like, and that was in the '90s when we were still really having a great time being mean to ladies. So, 
And also in just as a trans aside in the 90s, like people, you didn't really exist as who you really were in the regular world. But like you would because trans people are fucking dorks as gentlemen because they're very like, I don't, I don't mean to say that they're smart, but they're very intellectual in the sense that they're recoiling out of your own body and you have to like live in your head a whole bunch. Mm. So like the whole staying permanently on like he Neo is not, you know, John Anderson in the world of computers he's neo that's where he starts off as neo trans people have the same thing they have their own mm. like i'm an entirely different person online you know like wow. i read somewhere that like the costume designers like wanted neo's like suits in the beginning of the movie to be really ill-fitting to just make it seem like he doesn't mm. fit in the world like again if anything rings my bell well and the insistence of um wow yeah the insistence of uh, Agent Smith in saying Neo's name over and over again, like Mr. Anderson, yep. Mr. Anderson, Mr. Anderson. Like you will he, be what you know the Matrix has told you you are. He there's a thing there's a thing in trans culture called dead naming. That's when you call someone by like their boy name or their girl name, whichever mm. way they're going. Agent Smith dead names Neo throughout mm. the whole film. He's just like, no, I don't accept who you really are. Uh, you are a slave of the system. I'm not. Ha- I'm not having it any other way. Mm, yeah. So it's like it's the, all these all these um, subtleties in there that are now being elucidated later. I think also um, as far as another contribution, I think it a little bit of intellectuality in your set pieces and in your action, which is the set pieces. Uh, I think they they put that in the forefront. I think there's a lot of screenwriters now who don't think of the fight scenes as just fight scenes. I think they think of them as trying to advance the story. I've even heard Kurtzman, who a lot of people hate, uh, Alex Kurtzman, who uh, did some of the Transformers movies that did Star Trek. So it's of the, the new action-y Star Trek movie. So it's kind of odd that he says this, but he says when he's thinking about his stories that if you take the action scenes out, the story can like not make any sense anymore. Because major transitional, major, um, you know, major breakthroughs have to happen in the course of the action mm-hmm. that propel the story. Or else you're just taking 10 minutes out, kind of like the scene in the second Matrix where they're on top of the, the trucks and shit. It's a great scene, but people have described it as the best, greatest, longest action scene that you'll ever check your voicemail during. You're not wrong. I hate to say it because I do love that scene because like you got in the first movie, like where they're in the dojo and it's like, come on, stop trying to hit me and hit me. Like that is incredibly meaningful. Mm, and yeah. again, I love the battle with Neo versus all the multiple Agent Smiths, but that did not need to happen. Motherfucker can fly away at any time. Yep. And in the subway, when he gets up to continue fighting, he does that and he, he like does the little traditional kung fu come here mm-hmm. thing? It's like, like I remember watching that, and I was like, "Oh shit!" He's just made a decision. Oh yeah, to to do this, and like I remember getting goosebumps when I saw that because it meant that he's he's accepting what what and who he is, and that's a I have, I have goosebumps right now just you talking about it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he's 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 starting to believe or whatever. Yeah. Like that, that really makes you feel. I'm feeling something. Jesus Christ! Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it it it's it's really it's really powerful. But again, like we were talking about earlier, 
if the agents and the oppressiveness of the world were not so strong and unbeatable before, you wouldn't feel that. And a lot of these movies that try to bite off the Matrix, there's never a moment in equilibrium where I go, damn, Christian Bale, I wonder if you're going to be able to defeat this oppressive, you know, motionless regime. I wonder if these 50 guys in motorcycle helmets running up to you are going to get fucked up or not. How are you going to get out of this one? Never thought it one second. Because in that movie, he's just destroying people like if Neo was set about in a real world. It's very important to have your villains be so much more powerful than your hero. Because in reality, that's how we feel as people, as individuals. Again, I love Blade, but I never once doubted that Blade was going to kick that dude's ass. Oh. (laughs) That third eye blind looking motherfucker. <laughs> well, you got this. I'll, I'll go. I'll go ahead and go to the bathroom during this movie. <laughs> you just play that do, 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 over over that whole last scene. While he's just fucking Deacon Frost up. By the way, that whole scene where he, where he does the, the 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 hand beckoning thing move. You know that right after that, where like Agent Smith is holding him in front of the train. Just this is another trans aside. But when he's like, "Goodbye, Mister Anderson," he's like, "My name." is Neo. I can't tell you motherfuckers how many times someone has said something shitty to me and I've been like, my name is Fifi. And then I imagine <laughs> jumping I mean, I, I, I think that that's what's really, that's what's te- st- stood the test of time is that people can uh, identify with this movie. And now that we know more about what it's really trying to say, I think it's even more powerful. Um, and that's why I, I just, as a, as a last aside about the fourth movie, I know it's a disappointment and all this kind of jazz, but one thing I did like about it was it kind of acknowledged that there isn't any one, you know? I mean, it, it is, on an individual level, it's great for us all to embrace our individuality and we are who we should be, you know? But we are us. We are a bunch of people and we have to have other people around us to be as strong as we can be. And that's why it's so shitty to exclude people from society because you're taking a key part of humanity away from them, right? Mm-hmm. So in the end of the fourth Matrix, spoilers, um, we see that Trinity is basically as powerful as Neo. Trin- Trinity is part of the the engine that makes that Neo power work, even to the point where she gave him a jump start by kissing him and bringing him back to life in the first one. Like, it, I think that could be retroactively retconned into being like his his battery died, basically. And she, not knowing that she was just as powerful as him, not knowing that she was just as intrinsic to the the power of the one as he was, just did the supportive lady thing in movies and like, come back, buddy, come back, Shane, save us. Gives him a little kiss, gives him his little libido energy or his love energy. And he comes back to life and whoops everybody's ass. Yeah. In the fourth one, they kind of, it's kind of retcon to be like they're equal parts, like yin and yang of the, of the, of the Neo powers. And I kind of thought that that was interesting. I wish it had been in a better movie. I wish it had been in a more focused movie, a more actiony uh a, a better action chore- choreographed movie but also a more actiony movie a more relentless movie that's just kind of oh motherfucker the matrix is back come with me let's go that movie was such a ponderous like 
let's go back into the matrix let's examine this let's have a really boring fight over here then let's talk about some stuff then some nah the matrix in this new thing it should have been just relentless almost like a terminator movie yeah. where we're getting we're getting information catch as catch can because neo doesn't know as much as he knew about the previous matrix that's the whole point of this movie but instead they they wallowed in dissecting the old movies which you know that's it, their right but i don't think it was the necessarily the right way to go i don't think so and i'm and i'm glad you mentioned that i think that is a good development having like trinity be the one too because like the idea that anybody can be the one i think it's a good course correction because in the first one you identify with Neo, like, yeah, there are these other people that aren't quite as powerful as him, but you're not really that dialed into that because you're like, Neo is my audience surrogate and I'm dialed into him. When you actually like play out the reality of that, which is why I think the second and third ones didn't do as well, he kind of stops becoming an audience surrogate and he just becomes like nerd Jesus, I guess. Like he mm-hmm. does basically turn into Jesus, which is, you know, I'm not, you know, that that's all well and good, but it's a very different kind of message than the first one. Mm, definitely. So if you were going to tell people, um, well, I, you know what? What would you think that you would want to see in your Matrix uh, sequels? Like if, if you could take bits and bobs out of each of them put, and put something together, what do you think that you would uh, – what do you think would be a worthy sequel to The Matrix? Or is it just impossible? Because we found it to be impossible on our rebooted episode. We almost broke up as a group because we tried to reboot The Matrix – and use uh, try to explore the same themes as it had, mm-hmm. but in a modern, uh, or rather, uh, you know, with our modern screenwriting techniques, change change it some kind of way, and we just couldn't do it. Here's the way I would like to go, just going from like my heart. There's a theory that came up around the second and third movies that like Zion or like the real world was another Matrix, you know. Mm-hmm. Which I think they kind of did because didn't Neo have powers outside of it for some reason? And they were like, well, since can he do this, mustn't this just be another Matrix? Mm-hmm. I would like an, an Inception kind of movie where they really explore that, where there's maybe like matrices within matrices that just kind of keeps going down and down and down. Because again, if I'm going to take this back to a trans metaphor, I started transitioning 2020. We were all on lockdown. That was like one of the happiest years of my life because like my whole life was like potential. And mm. it was like I could kind of live in like because my life was so small, it was kind of all good and just sort of good vibes. And I have found since the world has gotten opening back up, like taking that into the world <clears throat> is difficult, you know, because you run into real world ass shit. So mm. I would like a kind of Matrix movie where it's almost like you get kind of like layers. Like if the Matrix wasn't a real level thing, it was like a multi-tiered level thing that you kind of can't ever truly get to the end of it. Just kind of like you can't ever truly transcend life. Like you're kind of stuck in the world no matter what you do or how, mm. how whatever kind you're living. And having some kind of ending where Neo makes peace with that is the way I would go. Just, I mean, but I agree with you. Like, we're we're trying to, like, reinvent the wheel in that, like, they nailed it the first time. And any any kind of attempt, I think, is doomed to be inferior, even if they're very good. Again, I like the sequels. But, like, that is the way I would go. Look, we tried really hard to come up with a way to reboot The Matrix. 
<clears throat> and we found that it's very difficult because everybody likes some part of it that's important to them. And if you start trying to jam that stuff in there, it becomes a mess. You know, like one of the things mm. I always thought about is like after he's literally able to control the Matrix, why would there ever be a Kung Fu fight scene ever again? There'd be no point. If somebody comes at you, you wrap them up in a building because you can literally control the Matrix. Mm. I just don't know what where you can go from there because like the flying part's real cool at the end, but like they say he can literally control the Matrix. He absorbed a program. I mean, at that point, like, I don't know what else you could possibly do to make a movie after that. You guys did a whole episode on, like, the problem of writing for Superman, and I think the same rules apply to Neo. I think that's why the second and third movie didn't ring as well, because exactly that. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you fight an, an unbeatable person, you know? Yeah. Although well, I will say this, I, like, I believed, like, you know, we talked about the agents being a threat. Like, I did not automatically believe that Neo could beat all the agent Smiths. I thought, like, okay, they're kind of on equal footing. Like, I see them as foils for each other. This He is a match for Neo. I bought it. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. That, and then they'd quickly veer away from that, though. You know, into, like, this super burly brawl and the super just... It just gets way bigger, uh, way fast, because they've already crossed this, this the terminal velocity of making neo suck mm -hmm. they, they they crossed it and they just were just you gotta play it all the way out so i mean i think in the end the matrix is so influential because it is so individual like you said fifi and because it has such a assimilative quality of everything and it was also very much of its time like i could i could see them missing their window to do that exact story like maybe after Blade Two comes out, you bring out the first Matrix. Does it do as good? Because I've I've seen yeah. stuff like The Edge of Tomorrow. I'm not not saying Blade Two is anywhere as good as the fucking Matrix. I'm just saying it's like I just saw people doing like uh in Blade Two there is a fucking flying elbow that is from like a football field. Like like so, like Nomad runs up a wall on the other side of the of of a giant banquet hall and drops a people's elbow on. <laughs> on fucking blade in the foreground and, and like that jump was about a hundred feet at least any elbows you know what i'm saying like they yeah. were doing wild shit because they had they had you know assimilated matrix technology and shit with the cgi i'm just saying like let's say they do that and then we see some stuff similar again like edge of tomorrow edge of tomorrow bombed that movie is sick as fuck it's amazing. edge of tomorrow is sick as fuck the it bombing is the one of the great mysteries it's like Amelia Earhart disappearing, Edge of Tomorrow, Loch Ness monster. You know what I mean? <laughs> to me, and like, what the fuck? So it's like I, 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 I'm glad the Matrix didn't experience that, but mm -hmm. its outsized influence has literally changed the world and changed common discourse. Part of this, I think, is is changing discourse for the better. So maybe we're contributing to, to the good side of it, changing the discourse. And that's why I'm glad that we did this episode. Agreed. And I think that's what disappointed me most about the newest one was it's just like, it just was just kind of, eh, you know, mm -hmm. like say what you will about the sequels, but people had strong opinions about them. Mm -hmm. Like I would like, I don't mind the scene with the architect. I think it needed like a rewrite or two, 
but like I bought it, I thought it was interesting, and mm-hmm. it's like I, I always love like any t- I, like any kind of I love like love it or hate it moments in movies, you know, just because like I'd rather feel something than just be kind of like oh they have a pet squid who's like the Slimer of the Matrix. I don't give a shit, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I love a spectacular failure more than like a middling kind of success, you know. Huh. That's that's really interesting because yeah, you're right. The Matrix didn't crater. The no. Matrix Four didn't crater. It just sort of was like this is this is okay. A heel wrestler is better than a boring baby face, you know? The Matrix 4 is a boring baby face. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and people think wrestling doesn't contribute to great discourse. It does. It definitely does. So uh, where can people find you at? Uh, go to my TikTok. I'm at Fifi Dosh, at F-I-F-I-D-O-S-C-H. I'm very active on there. I put out a new video every week. And I'm also at the Comedy Store every week sometimes. So if you want to see me, check me out there. And you see us every week as well in your podcast feed. But some of you haven't subscribed. Some of you haven't left us a dope-ass review. And I don't understand why that would be. Because we read reviews on air. So please, throw us a five-star review. Support the podcast. And also uh, check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash the greatest pod on there. You can get extra pods and you and or you can get art sent directly to your house. It's really great. Choose the tier you like and it helps us keep this going. So thanks for supporting us. And as always, thanks for listening to another episode of the greatest pod.